Good morning, everybody. You have tuned in to Driving Theology. My name is Mike, and it is a hot June morning. What time is it? It's about 9.19. Leaving right on time, just on time. Got some iced coffee with me. Uh, I'm going to turn on the air conditioner. It may be a little bit loud for a few minutes. We've got to cool this car down before we get to cruising temperature. Uh, so I don't sweat too much. And uh, yeah, so what day is it? Today might be June 27th. And I think that's correct. June 27th. And in about... 10 or 11 days, I'm heading to Hawaii for my daughter's wedding. Last week, I talked about marriage um, and and basically uh, made the case for marriage. Uh, and I, I, I guess, I'm not sure if I'm going to talk about that today or something else, um, but I do want to uh, make a little addition um, to last week. Uh, I didn't really perhaps define marriage. And the reason I didn't is because every every culture kind of has an idea of what marriage is or, or what it means to have a, uh, let's say, familial relationship with uh, another person uh, who was not born in your family or at least your immediate family but becomes... Uh, part of your family. <laughs> Interesting side note in in preparing for uh, preparing for doing this wedding for my daughter uh, in Hawaii. Uh, I did come across the regulations for getting married in Hawaii, and apparently, uh, first cousins can get married in Hawaii. First cousins, mind you, uh, you and a first cousin would have quite a bit of the same DNA. Uh, I'd have to do the math, so let's see. Uh, uh, two sisters have basically the same DNA, a high percentage of the DNA. And then, yeah, anyway, first cousins, we have a lot, we share a lot of DNA with them. But apparently in Hawaii, it's still okay if you're first cousins uh, to, uh, to get married. You can marry your first cousin. It's kind of creepy, but oh well. Um, now, didn't want to talk about that <coughs> uh, necessarily. Sorry, just uh, I have a relative who passed away. My sister's trying to tell me all the details about, and I kind of walked out without telling her I had to go to work. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, to me, marriage is the vow, right? Marriage takes place in the promise that you make to another person. Uh, and, and marriage is a death until death do us part promise. That, that's the marriage to me. It doesn't matter what the government or even the church says marriage is. To me, when, when two people 
uh, make a mutual vow to stand by one another until death. Um, I think those two people are married. Now that's a that's a that's the agreement part of marriage. That's the the vow part of marriage. Uh, in a sense, I think having sex with someone is also marriage. It's another level of marriage. Uh, but when you have sex with someone, you have intimate knowledge of that person. That is, you are not able to get any other way. Uh, and to some extent, uh, sex is a kind of marriage. The problem with just sex is that you, you're not getting the commitment if it's just sex, right? Uh, now, of course, sex can lead to love and love leads to commitment. And when love is commitment, I don't think there's commitment without love or love without commitment. Uh, anyway, either way, um, true love. Uh, it's possible you can get all those things in that order, but um, in a sense, um, yeah, there, there's something that happens, and and, and the, the sexual act between two people is is a mysterious thing, right? It's um, there's nowhere else to find it, right, on Earth. Like there's no other experience you can get that, that's quite like it. Uh, and there's really nothing in its category. Uh, it is very specific and specialized. Maybe a good way to say that. I'm not sure if that's right, but in my opinion. Um, and there's something that happens between two people when they make a commitment to one another, but there's also a, there seems to be a lifelong connection that's made when two people have sex. Because it's, it's such intimate knowledge of a person. And in fact, the Bible, biblical language, or at least in English, has used this verb to know somebody uh, as either a euphemism or uh, a metaphor um, for the sexual act, right? When you have sex with someone, you know them in a certain kind of way. And really, there's no other way to know that person in that way other than having sex. Uh, and I'm not talking about just intimacy. And there's all kinds of levels of intimacy. But there's a certain sexual intimacy that happens between two people. And it's, it can be a very beautiful and wonderful, mysterious, uh, even mystical experience. Um, and uh, it's... Yeah. And so Christianity uh, historically has taken the view that that sex is to be reserved for marriage, that the best possible combination of both the intimacy of making a promise to one another and the forever connection that you get when you have sex with someone is best used together, right? Uh, and you really, a lot of, uh, I think, I think um, a lot of the heirs of Christianity would say you can't have one without the other, that 
if you're going to have the ceremony and make a vow to one another, um, without sex, the vow is meaningless, right? Um, and without the vow, sex is dangerous, I suppose, in a sense. And I don't mean physically, uh, but I mean... Yeah, I'll just leave it there. It's kind of a psychological thing. I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, I, I don't know what I'm talking about on that level. All I have is experience and, and not too much experience. Uh, and yeah, a few, a few years to think about it. Um, so <clears throat> most people today, I, I'm not naive. I think most of us today probably have sex before we're married and I think that's a cultural thing and I think that's uh, probably something that's always been the case the drive right the sexual drive is is infamous uh, for being um, unbridled to some extent right that the 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 body wants what it wants uh, and it's quite difficult at times to deny the body uh, and override it with um, reason uh, or, or rational thought. Um, yeah, I'm kind of fumbling around in the dark about this, but I guess what I wanted to say is there's all kinds of ways to look at marriage. There are layers and, and all kinds of things, but at the heart of marriage, uh, for whatever reason, uh, there is a vow. There's a pre- there's a promise. Uh, there's a a foreverness attached to it. Uh, even even if you say, even if you you enter into a marriage with a prenuptial agreement, there's still the assumption that marriage is forever. I don't think anybody uh, assumes that you know marriage is a uh, you know let's let's get married for two years and then you know let's find somebody else nobody enters into marriage as a contract like that or if they do uh, it's the marriage is a sham it, it, there's no love there's no real commitment there's there's just um, maybe some kind of a convenient reason to get married um, the other the other part of not committing right not getting uh, married not making a vow not not making a promise in a relationship, especially a sexual relationship, is that, and this is this is backed up by Jordan Peterson, but I think it's common sense. By not making the vow, you're saying to your partner, perhaps indirectly, well, if something else better comes along, then you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on that train, right? pun intended uh, or you know if if this doesn't work out you know we can just do something else and the problem with not making a commitment is that what you're doing is you are entering into a sexual relationship with a person without a commitment and sex on some level seems to be a forever thing it, it doesn't seem to go away you, you have, like I said, you have a certain kind of a, a knowledge of a person that other people don't have. 
and can't have without without actually having sex. Um, so, I'm not a marriage counselor, right? But I think there is there is something to be said of couples who have decided that they want to make it public and permanent uh, and and they are uh, publicly saying to the world that they're finished um, searching, that they have found the one with whom they will be uh, with for the rest of their life. Uh, and these, these relationships, time and time again, have proven to be beneficial for both, both people. Sometimes they prove not beneficial for either person. Uh, oftentimes they are unbalanced relationships. But there is still, on some level, a sense of security that comes along with it. There's a, there's a sigh of relief. Okay, you know, we can finally get on to the rest of our lives. This part is, is taken care of. It's done. Uh, I am in some way uh, a part of something bigger than myself now. I'm not just myself, but I am we. We are a we. We, we can now rely on one another. We can take care of one another. We can protect one another. So what I wanted to say about marriage is that, yeah, there are all kinds of things you can call a marriage, but to me the marriage is is the the promise. The promise is very important. Um, the promise part of marriage is super important. And like I said last week, it's it's because it's because that's the kind of promise that Christ makes to us. Christ has made a forever promise to us. Um, that no matter what we can rely on him we can count on him he's always with us he's always there he will always be near uh, and that's something that we humans seem to need yeah it's a good thing it's a good thing so <clears throat> yeah uh good. It's good. So we're going to be doing that in about 10 days in Hawaii. Uh, what else to talk about? What else to talk about? It's really hard to shift gears, but I really don't have enough uh, in my mind to do a whole other uh, a whole other second chapter on marriage right now. Probably could. Probably could. It's a big deal. It's a big thing. Uh, it's something that's probably going to be a part of my life for next five to ten years, quite a bit, so with three daughters, uh, all over the age of 20, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's likely, it could happen, uh, I do wish somehow, I, I, I hope on some level that I've imparted to my kids the, me and my wife, I shouldn't say just me, my wife and I, that we have imparted to them the benefit of sticking with their partner through thick and thin that we have somehow modeled positively 
reasons why uh, remaining married, even through the hard times, uh, is a good thing. And first and foremost, it's them, because uh, I think we had enough problems early on that surely our marriage could have ended before any of them were born, and they've been such a joy to our lives, and I can't imagine my life without my three daughters. But had I have jumped ship, or had my wife have jumped ship, actually, had my wife have jumped, had, had my wife jumped ship when times got tough, uh, none of them would exist. And, you know, creation, procreation, if you will, having children is a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's great bringing people into the world. There's fewer things that are as joy-giving. Now, there's also a lot of frustration and, you know, times can be tough and depending on the time that you live in and the culture and the way that your culture values children or doesn't, you may have a certain kind of a view on children, whether children are a blessing or uh, children are a burden, right? Uh, and I assure you they are both. <laughs> uh, I assure you they are both. But the question is, is the burden worth it? Does your culture uh, teach you that the burden of raising children is well worth it? That children uh, are something that we need and we should, we should have and we should want. Um, that a country needs a fresh generation of children. In order to survive, and that's something that is happening in Japan. You know, the uh, population of many "quote unquote" Western countries, and Japan has kind of become the most Western country in Asia. I would say is that the populations are decreasing. What this means is that couples are having fewer and fewer children, uh, and there are many reasons for this. And one of the reasons seems to be. Uh, a, an increase in self-centeredness. Uh, it's very difficult, very difficult to be a self-centered, happy parent. If you are selfish and self-centered, uh, it's very difficult to be a good parent. Uh, you will be angry all the time. Uh, you'll be upset. You'll be frustrated. Um, because to be a good parent, you, you have to be focused on your kids. You have to be focused on the family. Their well-being has to be more important than your own. That's something that you sign up for when you decide to have children. And I should say, you sign up for it. Uh, what's the word? De facto. You de facto sign up for it uh, when you have sex. Because as long as you know that babies can be born of sex, then you are, in, you are having sex knowing that you may be producing uh, offspring. So, uh, people these days, I don't know how to say this correctly, politically correctly, <laughs> um, and I'm going to, everybody's involved in this, right? People are getting softer and softer. And as we get uh, less tough, right? Um, mentally, 
uh, and maybe even physically because of the kind, you know, we have fewer and fewer uh, labor-intensive jobs, I would say. Uh, I think, and, and, let's, let's add the internet, computers, uh, social media, uh, handheld devices to this. Um, these devices tend to draw us inward. They, you know, a, a handheld device is really meant for you to watch by yourself. It's meant to you, for you to watch whatever you want, whenever you want, by yourself. And basically, we are creating more and more introverted people. Uh, now, the question is, introversion or extroversion, is it, is it nature or nurture? Are you born this way or is this how you were made? And if, if there is a way that you can be nurtured into being introverted, uh, handheld devices just may be one of the ways that we do that. Uh, I, I see that in myself. I, I actually used to be a very extroverted person. Uh, and I think I've become more introverted over the years. And I don't know that this is a correlation or causation but a lot of my introversion seems to have happened as we've gotten smartphones. I don't know if it's from that or if it's just that my age correlates with uh, the introduction of smartphones into society. Uh, I don't, I, I would have to read more uh, on whether or not people become more introverted as they get older. It's possible. It's possible that they've been doing that for years and it has nothing at all to do with uh, our devices um, so that requires more study but that doesn't stop the fact that if if I am selfish and I want to indulge in my introvertedness handheld devices certainly perpetuate that right they, they make that very possible. Uh, I don't need to go shopping in a busy shopping mall. I can just push a few buttons on Amazon.com and get what I want right to my door. And I only have to deal with one person in the entire shopping process. Now, I'm not that introverted. I'm probably the most introverted of all extroverts or the most extroverted of all introverts. I'm not sure about uh, All I'm saying is if, if we have become more selfish, more, more introverted, uh, handheld devices only make that more possible, more viable. And I'm not saying introversion is a bad thing. I think in, introversion is a superpower when used correctly and by some people. But whether you are introverted or extroverted, it doesn't change the fact that we need each other. We need each other. Even introverts live in societies. They benefit from societies. They still benefit from roads and electricity and, and you know all the things that society has done for them. They cannot live in a vacuum. Uh, as the uh, philosopher said, no man is an island, right? Uh, we are all 
all connected and we need to be connected in order to survive in some way. That's the story of evolution, right? The strength in numbers and all that. Uh, so, wow, I've kind of gone off on a tangent on a critique of, of modern society uh, as I see it. But the fact remains there's reasons why we are not having as many children as we once did. Uh, now, I, I hold out the idea that, yes, there are some people who believe the earth is overpopulated and therefore when they decide not to have children, they are making a conscious decision of population control. Right? That's possible. Uh, and, and as a human race, the human race is still growing. Uh, there are places that are still having plenty of children. India has an enormous birth rate. Of course, it's an enormous country. I believe over a billion people live in India. China has kind of leveled off, right? China is not the baby-producing place it used to be, but there are certain parts of the world who still have lots of babies. And sooner or later those countries will have more people than, you know, their populations will be larger than ours. And ours will, if, if the trend holds, and scientifically that we think it probably will, eventually uh, white people, <laughs> white people in general are not having as many babies. So White people have stopped procreating at a at a positive rate, right? Uh, and brown people are procreating at a at a positive rate. So it's not strictly a white and brown problem, but it am I wrong? Somebody tell me if you are a you know an expert on these things. Call this sociological issues, population. Uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Demographics, right? It may be the case that more white people are dying, more people with uh, European blood are dying uh, than are being born. That's possible. And it may be the case that more people with uh, non-pink skin, olive, or brown, or dark brown, or even black, uh, maybe having more babies. And so that just tells me that at some point in time in the future, assuming uh, no cataclysmic thing happens to the entire human race, that one day light-skinned people will cease to exist, and the world will be covered with dark-skinned pe people. And I think that's fine. That's great. Wonderful. Um, but I'm trying to figure out why. Like, why is that the case? What is the what is the mechanism behind that? It does seem so weird. Now, there are Asian countries who are following the same pattern. I think Japan is. I uh, don't know about Korea, uh, but I think China is basically following that pattern now as well. They're probably having fewer than one child per couple. Uh, not fewer. 
uh, fewer than two children per couple. You can't have fewer than one unless you have zero, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting, right? But, you know, another side of marriage, it seems to be accepted or widely assumed that marriage uh, then produces children. Or sometimes uh, pregnancy produces marriage. That does happen too. Uh, both ways. It's all good, I guess. Uh, but that's the other side of marriage, right? So if, if two people are not committed to one another and yet they decide to have children, or they have children even, just you know, having decided or not decided, they have children. Is it true that children are more likely uh, to be raised healthy and happy in a family with two parents who are committed to each other and who love each other than not? Uh, That's a question. That's a difficult question, right? Do divorced couples actually create less happy children? The question is, does divorce ruin children, basically? I think some people would say yes, but I don't know. Again, that's a demographic thing, right? That's that's something for the statisticians. Statisticians? Statisticians? I'm not sure how to say that. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. You get the picture. Oh, that's good. Having a little bit of iced coffee. All right, how am I doing my time? Oh, I'm doing all right. So marriage, again, I'll reiterate, marriage is, to me, the most important of marriage is your commitment. Are you committed to one another no matter what? Uh, and then once you produce children, does your commitment give your children the best possibility of being successful in the world? Now, of course, not just marriage, right? It, it, I think you need to have a husband and wife who respect one another, who love one another, who stand beside each other, who take care of one another, uh, who despite their disagreements and arguments work things out who uh, come to you know eventually a, a good place or a better place and you know I don't know the answers to that because I come from a family of divorce my parents were divorced now it happened you know beyond past past my formative years I was how old was I 20. I don't know, 24, 25, when they got divorced. And it was really hard. I'm I'm telling you, it was really hard for 10 years for me. Uh, I know it did affect me. Um, But it also made me, I think, double down on, on working hard to preserve my marriage. And so far, I have, I have, two other siblings who are married. Uh, So far, all three of us 
have not divorced in over 30 years of marriage all of us uh, have made it this far um, now my oldest sister's husband passed away and she remarried uh, and that's a you know a slightly different story um, but as far as divorce we all because of what happened to our parents we all kind of I think uh, it made us stronger I really think it made us stronger. Uh, Now, anything can still happen. I've been married now 34 years. My parents divorced after 30 years. Or close to it. Um, So, passing the 30th year was a big deal for me. It was a really big deal. Uh, and, And now, you know, I feel like we're in bonus time. It's... It's great. It's wonderful, you know, um, that I've made it this far. It's it's nothing short of miraculous. I assure you. Uh, my wife is a saint. She is a saint. Make no mistake. I love you, Tomoko. Really do. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> marriage commitment. Stay beside one another no matter what. To be there for one another. For rich or for poor. In sickness or in health. Good times and bad times. Right? Feast or famine. To be one another's person. Right? I am your person. What show does that come from? You're my person. Oh, that's from Grey's Anatomy. Uh, so, yeah, to go from the commitment, of course, to, uh, being sexually intimate with your partner, to producing children, to raising children, uh, and then to sending children out into the world, and then to rediscover your own relationship. Uh, and what that's all about, and perhaps to remake the relationship every time it needs to be remade. I think I'm actually in that time now that I, th- I feel like my wife and I kind of need to um, start again in a lot of ways. And it's, and it's nothing to do with what's happened before. It's just that, you know, your life goes through different um, phases, we went through the honeymoon phase and then we went through the having children phase and the raising children phase and now we've sent our children out uh, and now you know we're, we've been taking care of an elderly parent that's a phase and that's kind of winding down somewhat and and now we're back into the empty nest phase although one of my daughters is still around uh, she's in college and is finishing up stuff, and it looks like she'll be home for a little while until uh, probably she gets married, which may not be very far in the future. But basically, we're empty nesters. You know, we have pets. We're in that phase of our life. Uh, we're, we're very busy with hobbies. Uh, we're doing that. But I really think my wife and I need to rediscover a hobby that we do together. We, I think it would be good for us to... Uh, 
have something that we share. We've always worked together, right? For really since we got to Japan uh, some 20, 20 some odd years ago. Yeah, 28 years ago. We've been working together. Uh, we've been running businesses together. And we still continue to do that, but that that's almost something that's been hard in our relationship and not, not made it easier, really. But it would be nice for us, I think, to start a new hobby together, something that she and I both love to do that we can... Uh, go do and, and have fun and maybe join some friends. And one of the things we're thinking about is uh, investing in a, uh, a some kind of a camper all right, that we can drive around meet our friends in places, camp for the weekend, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, I know a lot of old people do that, but it, it actually to tell you the truth, sounds like heaven to me. Uh, I love the whole concept of it. So that's probably something we'll look at. And who knows, there may be a move, a move in our future. You know, we may, we may take off and, and relocate somewhere uh, as we get older, sell the house and head off into the sunset. I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, so, there is that. Um, but the big thing is not... You know, your your marriage is not going to be the same on year 34 as it is in year one. You're not the same people. Uh, you haven't had the same experiences, right? Marriage is going to change. You're going to go into phases. There are also physiological things that I know young people don't want to hear about that's coming. It's, it's coming to you. Uh, in some ways it's here for us and that changes the dynamic of your relationship very much. Um, and it's, it's never going to get easier. I think it's always a challenge, right? Marriage is just something that you have to do every day. You have to get up and decide that today I'm, I'm committed to my relationship and my family and my responsibilities to my spouse. And that's something I'm going to fulfill today. That's why I'm going to work right now. And by the way, I'm going to have to cut this off soon. I know this has been kind of a stream of consciousness, uh, maybe to the max kind of thing. I started out in a weird way and maybe got to a weird point, but I hope it got to it. I hope it makes sense. Uh, I'm not sure it does. Um, but I will say that the greatest model we have on how to be married to someone is Jesus. Uh, it's, it's his commitment to us and his um, dedication to, to loving us fully even though he knows us fully. He knows all the bad stuff. He's been to the puppet show and seen all the strings. <laughs> we all have them. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Got to get to work. Have a great day. Stay safe. No, it's kind of loud still. So. And bye-bye.